So I just went through a tough breakup with a friend. It was so painful, but it was really necessary. And it took a while for me to realize I needed to break up with this friend because I started to notice that this relationship was just owning me. It made me feel kind of like an addict. It was the first thing I thought about in the morning and the last thing I thought about at night. It stole my time. Sometimes two, three, maybe even up to four hours a day and it stole my attention away from the things and the people that mattered the most to me. Killed my ability to concentrate to focus on one thing at a time, and to read, and to pray, and to think deeply. It put an end to moments of creative boredom out of which used to flow the best ideas. Because every time I had space, this friend was bugging me for attention. It stifled the voice of God, this friendship did. The voice of God that often spoke to me in all those nooks and crannies of my day, you know those moments of quiet and stillness that just happen to us, sitting at a stoplight, waiting in line at the grocery store, sitting at the doctor's office. I lost my ability to be alone with myself. And listen, I love this friend, but she was kind of ruining my life. There's some really good things about this friendship, though, this relationship. This friend helped me stay connected with my family. She broadened my taste in music. She expanded my mind in some great ways. I mean, she brought attention to all these uh, speeches and talks and videos. This friend always knows the weather forecast. And this friend is incredibly smart. Have you ever had a friend who literally knew the answer to any question ever asked in the world? Like, what color are the airplane's black boxes? Orange. What color is the purple finch? Red. What country do french fries come from? Belgium. See, these are important things to know. My friend knew all of them. She's great at directions. I could tell her where I want to go, and the next thing I know, even though she developed a weirdly robotic voice when she spoke, she was on point 97% of the time. This friend had incredible benefits. But I had to break up, because the bad was outweighing the good. We're still friends, but we're friends with real hard boundaries. Any guesses on who my friend is? She's pretty popular. She sometimes goes by the nickname Siri. It's kind of cute, isn't it? But don't be fooled. She can be a monster. And that's why she and I had to break up and set some new boundaries for how we were gonna relate to one another. If you haven't been with us, or if you've forgotten, 
We're in the third week of this summer series that we're calling I Could Do That, where the teachers are kind of pulling back the curtain on our own lives and sharing honestly with you about some things that we're doing or not doing to help ourselves stay in the presence of God and to give ourselves a chance in this busy and distracted world to grow spiritually. And we hope that as you listen to these teachings over the summer, that one or two of them will strike you and you will think to yourself, I could do that. And you try something that might help you grow closer to God. All right, back to my breakup. There is a man named Tristan Harris who is a former Google employee and a design ethicist. That is a made-up job title, okay? I don't even know what a design ethicist would do, but this is what he said. He said, never before in history have the decisions of a handful of software device and app designers working at just three companies had so much impact on how millions of people around the world spend their attention. Never before in history has this small group of people just working at three companies controlled how people across the globe spend their attention. Never before in history. Steve Jobs first rolled out the the iPhone in 2007. It's 12 years ago. An incredible revolution with some incredible benefits. I could spend an entire teaching simply listening, listing the benefits. But here's the dirty truth I want to talk about this morning. We love our phones, but we often hate the way they make us feel. We feel busy and kind of frenzied and like we're always behind. We feel like we can't find the time to do the things we say matter to us, the things we say we really want to get to. We've lost time for deep conversation. A lot of us are finding we can't read anymore because we can't stick with anything longer than two minutes. We feel vaguely connected to more people than ever, but many of us, if you really ask us, are desperately lonely. We find it hard to get through a movie or a stoplight or a family meal without pulling out our phones. When we leave them at home, we feel desperately anxious. We do not know what to do with our hands. (laughs) When we see someone check their phone, we automatically want to check ours. I read that checking our phones is the new... (sighs) Yawn. And I bet right now, because I'm describing this, over half of you or more desperately want to take your phone out right now and click on something. You don't even care what it is. You just want to take it out and click on something. We check our phones on average about 50 times a day. If you're 18 to 24, the average is 82. I think that's desperately low. Half of us check them in the middle of the night. What are you doing? 10% of us check them during marital relations. That's all I'm going to say about that. On average, we spend more than four hours every day on our phones. 28 hours a week, 
112 hours a month, 56 full days per year. Almost three months of every year of our lives are spent looking at our phones. And this is changing the structure and the function of our brains. Let me repeat that. Three months of every year of our lives on our phones, and it's changing the structure and the functions of our brains, including our ability to form new memories, to think deeply about anything, and to absorb and remember what we read. It's causing sleep problems, anxiety, stress, and depression, especially in young people. One psychiatrist said that teenagers in this country are on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades. Now listen to me. Phones aren't evil. App designers aren't evil. The apps on our phones, most of them, aren't evil. Right? Like any good gift from our creator, food, sex, nice red wine, all good when engaged rightly, and all very dangerous when there are no boundary lines. And here's why we so desperately need to set boundaries. At least this is why I need to so desperately set boundaries. This information really was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. So helpful. And most of it came from this little book I Googled, uh, when I discovered what I needed to do in my life, I I Googled how to break up with your phone, and lo and behold, This book came up on Amazon. (laughs) They've listened to this once. How to Break Up With Your Phone by Catherine Price. I highly recommend it. It's incredible. This is one of the things that I learned from her. Uh, When we get a new iPhone, especially smartphones, when we first get it and we start, let's just say we check our email on it. Our brain releases dopamine, which is a feel-good chemical that in and of itself is harmless. In fact, it it, it feels pretty good. The only problem is that after a while, after we own that phone for a while, and we use it more and more, we begin to experience a little hit of dopamine every time we pick it up. And we begin to start to associate. Our brain just does this without uh, our conscious, consciousness. Uh, we begin to associate our phone with feeling good. And so we pick it up even when we don't need to. Soon, our bodies have been trained to release this little squirt of this natural drug, dopamine, every time we reach for our phone. Thus, we pick it up 50 to 80 times a day. We can hardly be without it. We are like little rats in a cage pushing a button to try to get a nugget of food. And the problem is, the longer we go, you see, like any kind of addiction, the more excitement, novelty, and stimuli we need to release the same amount of dopamine that we initially got just by checking our boring email. So what we do is we add more apps, and we accept more friend requests, and we try to download more storage onto our phone if we can. We don't know how to do it, but we try. So that we can be constantly, unceasingly stimulated and entertained and filled with artificially induced dopamine. 
We hardly know what to do with ourselves anymore when we have a short window of time to do nothing. When I tell God what I did with my one and only precious life, when I tell the God who set me free from the burden of the law and from sin and from death itself, I don't want to say, I used that freedom that you bought for me with your life, and I spent an entire decade of my life looking at my phone. The Apostle Paul founded most of the early churches and he corresponded with them in letters and those letters make up a lot of what we call the New Testament. And in the book we call 1 Corinthians, which is really a letter, Paul is writing back to a church. So remember, he's in correspondence with them in some way. He's writing back to a church in the ancient city of Corinth. And in the parts I'm going to read, Paul is responding. You can take that book down. Thanks. Uh, oh, wait, you got the slide up. Take it back. Sorry. I'm super sorry, slide friend. <laughs> so in the, in the part that I'm going to read, Paul is responding to this mistaken idea that some of the followers of Jesus in Corinth had, that because they had been set free by Jesus from, from the law and from sin and from death, they were now free to do absolutely anything they wanted. And they were having some issues around sexuality and around uh, what they could and could not eat um, related to sacred food and, uh, you know, kind of some issues we don't necessarily deal with. I have a feeling that if the Apostle Paul were going to write a letter to the church at Orchard Hill right now, he might pen these exact same words, but they might have to do with how much time we spend on our phones. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. Remember, this is a back-and-forth correspondence he's having. So he says in verse 12, I have the right to do anything you say. Right? So he's saying, you people have said this to me. I have the right to do anything. But Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. Right? He's repeating their mistaken idea. But I will not be mastered by anything, says Paul. And then he goes on, same letter, few chapters later, chapter 10, verse 23, again, he uses the same language. Verse 23, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial, right? He's repeating himself here like a good parent would do. I have the right to do anything, Again, insinuating that this is what they say, but not everything is constructive. And then he adds a little bit more. No, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Paul writes another letter to the church at Galatia. It's his great letter about freedom. And he says in Galatians 5, verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. Put, 
put all of those thoughts of Paul's together as he tries to talk to these new followers of Jesus about their newfound freedom in Christ. And he says, you, you, you've been called to be free. And, and yes, of course, you can do anything you want, but here's the truth, not everything is good for you. And not everything is constructive. And you should not allow yourself to be mastered by anything. You have been set free. You are now a slave of Christ. You do not give your heart and your life away to anything else. And your freedom is not the highest call. Love is. Love is. And here's the truth. Pastor and author Leighton Ford said this. He said, love is focused attention. You think about that definition with your grandma or your two-year-old or your lonely neighbor or your spouse or your God. Love is when we give those people our focused attention. There was a study in 2014 that found that Facebook users were spending almost 40,000 years worth of attention every day on the site. Hear me. Every single day across this globe, human beings are trading 40,000 years worth of our attention daily on, okay, some good stuff, right? But if we're honest, 40,000 years worth of human attention is spent on trivia while our real friends and families and our neighbors and the poor, and the lost, and the broken, and the sick, and the far from God, and the God who desires our time often feels starved for our attention. Our attention is the most important thing we have. We experience only what we pay attention to. We remember only what we pay attention to. And frankly, the truth is we become what we pay attention to. What we give our attention to is in the end what we give our lives to. And pure and simple, I'm just speaking for myself right now. You're going to have to figure this out for your own self, but for me... I had allowed my phone to steal my attention. And it made me feel frenzied and behind and greedy for stuff I didn't have and discontent with the stuff I did have because it didn't look like the stuff I was looking at on Instagram. And I found myself staring at things that were pointless and meaningless and just downright stupid. 
I was checking my email at times where it made no sense. And then I was carrying around anxiety like a backpack on my days off or when I was trying to spend time with Chuck or my kids. I was scrolling through, scrolling through Instagram only to look up 30 minutes later, realizing that only two of the people whose photos I were looking at were even remotely in my inner circle. And about a third of what I was looking at were targeted ads that made me want to purchase many things. Eye creams that promised to make me look like I never aged. Hair removers for all kinds of hair and a hoodie sweatshirt with some kind of pillow attachment that you could just pull out and lay down, take a nap anywhere. I almost bought that thing. $59.99. I was so tempted on that one. It was targeted right at me. My phone, though I was free and still am free to use it, all I want was making me not free. It was, to a certain extent, enslaving me to it. It was mastering me, and it was keeping me from love. All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. All things are permissible, Paul said. But this was the part that really got me. I will not be mastered by anything. So... I googled how to break up with your phone, I bought this book, and I started to read it. I highly recommend it. It is not a hard read, but it is hard. First, one of many assignments, but one of the first assignments was to figure out what things about my phone were actually helping me live the life I wanted to live. I wrote those things down. A fairly short list. Then I thought even harder about those aspects of my phone that were stealing me away from the life I wanted, that were stealing my attention. And I wrote those things down, slightly longer list. Just doing those two things changed my behavior. I challenge you to do that. Then I installed a tracker on my phone called Moment which gives me hard data on how many times a day I pick up my phone. And it lets me know what apps I check the most and how much time I spend on what sites. I put a post-it note on my phone right here. It's too big, but whatever. It falls off all the time. The other day I found one in my running shoe. I think the enemy of my soul comes along and just blows it off so that I don't see it. Uh, but then I just make a new one, put it on here. And this post-it note has asked me three questions. What for? Why now and what else? What are you picking it up for? Why are you picking it up now? And what else could you do instead? Powerful, powerful. I immediately deleted all social media apps off my phone. That's right. And the warning came up and said, the warning came up and said, if you do this, all your data will be deleted permanently. You will never have any friends and you will grow old and you will grow hair on your chin and you will die a lonely woman. <laughs> I still deleted it. Still off my phone. I put a book and a small journal in my purse for moments of downtime. So when I'm stuck somewhere, I pull out my book and I read it or I write thoughts or prayers in my journal. I bought an alarm clock, remember those? So that it wakes me up in the morning, so that my phone isn't the first and last thing in my hand each night and each morning. I still haven't learned how to set that alarm clock yet, 
And so this morning, it once again failed to go off. But I'm getting there. I mostly keep my phone on silent. I try never to bring it to meetings anymore. It's kind of rude. I often take walks without it. And even though I no longer know how far I've walked, how many steps I've walked, and how many calories I've burned, I just listen to the breeze in the trees. Or I listen to the birds sing. Or I listen to the sound of my own breathing. I just let my mind wander. And I hear from God. I have a couple of phone-free zones at home now because I do not need to watch TV and look at my phone at the same time. And neither do you. I silence it 100% at night and I charge it away from my bed. I could go on and on and on and on. My point is, I am clawing my attention back from the trivial and the silly and the meaningless and the mundane. It's my job, only I can do it. Only I can fight for my attention because I wanna give it to God and to the people I love and to the world around me. God is found, God is heard, God is seen in all the cracks and crevices of our ordinary days. There's no other time that you're going to find him. It's just our ordinary days that we've been given to experience God. But if our eyes and our ears are glued to our screens, if we choose to entertain ourselves 24-7, if we allow our attention to be sold off to the app creators, if we give ourselves over to the dopamine addiction, it will own us and it will own our hours and it will steal our attention. And really, the truth is we may just miss God and we may miss the people he's given us and we may actually miss our life. What an absolute tragedy. I needed a hard breakup, friends. And I, I have a hunch some of you might need one too. And here's the truth. It will not be easy. Learning to hear and see God again will not be easy. Learning to sit down and read the Bible or pray or read a book or an article that's longer than two minutes will not be easy. Here's the truth about God, though. He's not an entertainer. He's not like Candy Crush. God doesn't beep or buzz or ring or vibrate to get our attention. He just is. And it's our job, our privilege, actually, open our eyes and to harness the gift of our attention again and to put it on the things and the people and the God that matters. Amen. Let's pray. God, we're so human and we fall victims to things we don't even know we're falling victim to. And we love good things, and yet we engage them in such ways that they become dangerous. And so, God, I pray for all of us, any of us, 
who have given our valuable attention away to things we don't really want to give it to, that you would touch us with your spirit this morning, not with guilt or shame, but with a gentle kind of conviction and the calling back to you and that desire that you put in our souls for freedom and for life that only you can provide. And I pray that you would encourage each one of us to take some steps starting today to really live the free life that you've called us to live in grace and in joy. And know that you can do this, God. We pray this all in Jesus' good and powerful name. Amen.